You found the First Baptist Rockdale Midweek Podcast. Lean in and learn as we study God's Word together. Enjoy. So last week was week one, and uh, we talked about why we pray. This week we're going to talk about how to pray. And if I was to ask you how it is as a Christian we're supposed to pray, um, you should be able to go back to see that this question was asked of Jesus Right, Jesus was asked by his disciples, teacher, teach us to pray. And then he taught them the Lord's Prayer. I hope um, that that's part of something that you have deeply embedded in you. You know, in the Baptist church, we don't do a lot of um, recitation of things. We don't do creeds and um, rote prayers and things like that. But, the, you know, that, that prayer that Jesus taught as the model prayer is a pretty, is a pretty good thing for us to have inside of our souls. Um, I'm not going to be talking about that today. Um, but I think if, you, if, if you're looking for a spot for an example of a Christ-like prayer, you can look at that prayer, and there's a prayer at the end of Jesus' life, the high priestly prayer, which are wonderful examples of how Christ showed us, demonstrated to us how, we, how to pray. There's another area in the Bible, though, that is chocked full of instruction on how to pray, and it's the book of Psalms. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Psalms today. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 31. Psalms is a tricky thing, you know, it, it doesn't have chapters. Every other book of the Bible has chapters or um, would have chapters if there was more than one of them designated. Psalms is literally individual songs, poems, prayers, um, expressions to God, and they all stand by themselves. That makes preaching through Psalms something very, very hard to do because Psalm 31 doesn't have anything to do with Psalm 30 or Psalm 32 necessarily, right? They, they are just kind of randomly put um, in there. And so Psalm 31 is a psalm of David. David, as you know, was the king of Israel, powerful man, influential man, pretty big deal, right? As far as big deals go, David was a pretty big deal. And this is what, I'm going to read the whole psalm. I know it's a little bit on the long side, and usually I don't read 24 verses at a time. Um, So hopefully you're reading along with me because my voice will put you to sleep otherwise, okay? Um, I know some of you got a nap today, but not all of us did, Johnny, okay? So for those of us who didn't get a nap today, we're going we're gonna to have to pay attention. Here we go. It says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame, and your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you led me or lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and you know and you have known the distress of my soul. And you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy for you have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances, and those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. 
For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, and as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was besieged in a city. I had said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This psalm was by David, and he wrote it deep in his distress. Here's what I love about psalms as prayers. When I read these things, I think this is authentic communication. Like, it's really what David was feeling. You know, sometimes when we go to God, we censor our prayers, right? We think that's not something we should say to God. I, I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Uh, sometimes I, 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 probably in small group, you get this sometimes when I pray. And I'm like, you know, the, the, you know this, help them because they're going to go see this idiot tomorrow. You know, and the truth is, there's idiots that we have to go see, right? But, but when we pray, we feel awkward calling people idiots in our prayers, right? Because we know it's probably not polite and it's not the kindest thing we can do. But I don't know of another way to describe some people sometimes. Like they're, 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 they're idiots and they're, they're thorns. But you look at how David refers to those people in this prayer and it is not kind, right? He's like, let them slip down into the Sheol, which is the grave. He's like, let them go on ahead and die in silence where no one notices there, there, right? David prays authentically to God out of his heart. Guys, God wants to hear from you, right? So when we talk about how we can pray, we need to start with an understanding that God desires to hear from you. We talked about that last week in some degree. He wants to hear like the small things in your life and the big things in your life, and he doesn't really care for you to censor it because you know what? He knows what you're thinking, He already knows how you feel about the situation. If you feel like you're being oppressed, if you feel like your life is unfair, if you feel like your circumstances are are, are totally not your doing, if you feel like there's adversaries who are against you, he knows all of this. You're not telling him anything new, but being able to put it to words to God is good for you. When we go to God, though, first first thing that we have to go to him is, is in trust. 
We have to go to God in trust. You look at verses 13 and 14 here. David's been complaining and whining and about the people around him who literally want to take his life. And then he says this, look, for I hear the whispering, this is verse 13, of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. There were literally people looking to kill David. If you read the story of David, for the rest of his life, like from the time that he kills Goliath, and he was a pretty young kid then, from that time until the day that he finally died, there was always someone trying to kill him. Always. Um, Initially, it was King Saul, the present king, when David killed Goliath. He's like, oh, David, you're such a wonderful person. And then people started singing songs about David, and Saul tried to kill him. Saul spent the rest of his life trying to kill David. David was hiding in caves and running for his life all over the place, trying to avoid getting murdered by the king of Israel that preceded him. After David became king, there were adversaries, enemies around him, and then inside of his own family. He had children seeking to kill him. His own kids were trying to kill him. Like, I have five and three-quarters kids right now, right? That's probably the legal standing where I'm at right now with my, my, my final kid. But, but like, I can't imagine Seth, my oldest, 17-year-old, I can't imagine him being like, yeah, I'm going to kill you, Dad. And like mean it, not like I'm mad at you because you grounded me or something like that, but literally trying to kill me. And David had that multiple times from his family. His family was a mess. And so we had these people who were gearing up his whole life. There were people trying to kill him. And he tells God this. There's these people who are always plotting to take my life. And then verse 14, he says, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Guys, when we go to God, we have to go to God and trust, understanding that he has your situation in his hands. Your problems, your issues, and they're real. They're real problems. They're real issues. They're not small things. They're real things. And God still has you. And so when you go to God and you're complaining and you're, you're, you're voicing what's going on in your world, somewhere in the middle of that, come back into your head to recognize that God is trustworthy. It's okay to tell God that, that he's disappointing you in how situations are going. It's okay to tell God that there are situations around you that are absolutely untenable and unacceptable. But somewhere in that prayer, have a moment to come back and, and recognize, God, I still trust you. Right? His trust in God is a deep-seated thing. I hope that you had that. I hope that you have a, a history of things you can look back on and say, God, I can trust you because you were here for me and you were here for me. I gave out those prayer guides last week. I hope you've been working through those. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, it's okay, I forgive you, okay? Because that's the sort of guy I am. But if you've been doing that, you can even look back. Like I, I look today, kind of flip back to the previous page to kind of look at what I was asking God for. And I asked God for like some immediate things. Like I'm like, I know I'm preaching Sunday morning, right? And so I pray for that uh, throughout my prayers. And I can look back and be like, God, you took care of that. I mean, I preached a little long, okay? Like full disclosure, I went two minutes long, okay? But like other than that, God kind of took care of it. Like like the words were, were, were his, and I feel like God was honored in that. I can trust God because he's been faithful to me. And so no matter what your situation is, come to God with trust. Be honest with him. Be honest with what's going on in your life, but trust that he is not gone from you 
finally and fully. The second way that we go to God is in thanksgiving. We're thankful for what God has done. There's a couple of examples of this, right? In verse 8, after he talks about um, hating these people. And I love that, but he's like, in verse 7 or 6, he's like, I hate those people who worship idols. When was the last time you prayed in your prayer about God? I hate that person, right? We're told not to say that, right? Like, don't hate people. And you shouldn't deeply in your heart probably hate people, right? That's not the best part of you. But sometimes that's truly who you are. Like sometimes that's the only honest thing you could say about that situation. And so David's going through these people and he's like, but I'll rejoice for this. And then in verse 8 he says, For you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. He recognizes that God is the one who's rescued him. Right, and so he's thankful to God for that. Jump down to verse 21, right, throughout all these other issues he's had. He said, Blessed be the Lord, for he's wondrously shown his steadfast love to me for when I was in a besieged city. So David had people literally surrounding him. Besieging is not something that we see a lot of uh, in our day-to-day lives, right? But imagine you're holed up in a city. you got an army around you on all sides. David was there, and God protected him in that situation. Right? And he looks at that and he's like, God, you did that for me. And that, that understanding of being able to look back at what God has done and to express thanksgiving is a huge part of prayer. Right? You know, like whenever I teach people how to pray, one of the ways I do it is the acts method, right? method, right? adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Thanksgiving is a huge part of prayer. Telling God thank you because you know what? He's done a lot for you. And David recognizes that even in the midst of all the craziness that he trusts God, but he's also thankful for God's previous deliverance. God wants our prayers to be specific, not general, right? It's not, God, thank you for all the blessings you've given me today and help me with the hard situations that I have around me. No, David is literally specifically pointing out um, the things that have gone on, gone on. Verse 15, my time is in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies um, and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call on you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Right? He's specific about what his problems are. Like We can look at this and be like, oh, David has some serious issues. Like, and it's not like life's tough, God help me through my tough situation. It's this problem is real for me. And naming that problem is, is difficult sometimes. Sometimes we don't know what exactly is bothering us. I, I dealt, I've done a lot of marriage counseling, like on the being counseled side. I've done some on the other side where I sit and counsel people in marriages. Uh, that's more pleasant, by the way, just so you know which side is more fun to be on. It's the side like, oh, let me give you some advice and try to help you through your issues here, right? Because like you, you're not personally invested in whether or not your marriage is, is, is going to make it, right? But, but in the midst of one of those like insane times in my life, which, which thankfully are not presently going on, there's something I can be thankful for. I'll write that down. But, 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 but it's not presently going on in my life. One of my pastors came to me and talked about um, the idea of, like, uh, confession, right? When you've done someone wrong. And the idea of confession is that you're able to articulate rightly what you did to where the other person uh, agrees that that's what the problem is, right? A confession is kind of an agreement between the two people. So, like, I, I would have to come and, and go to Danielle and be like, here's, here's where I've fallen short. And she'd be like, 
Uh, yeah, and, and I'd be like, okay, let's try this again. All right, here's, here's what I've done, and this. And she's like, yeah, and, and, and so then I have to work, right? I have to work to be specific to understand this is exactly what, where, where I've wronged you. Right? And in our confession to God, that's useful as well, to specifically be able to recall, God, this is where I've wronged you, to call things. We're really good at calling things not what they are. I love, um, love is a bad word, I enjoy watching people play word games to avoid calling things what they are. Right? Biblical things, right? Right? We, we have, we have a and we have an affair and we have these sort of concepts. Like we, we, we randomly, uh, like we, we, we don't call that adultery very often. Right? We, we, we had an affair. He cheated on his wife. He, she cheated on her husband. Right? We don't, we don't call it adultery. You got two young people like shacking up together. Like, we're like oh, well, they, you know, they're living together and like whatever. Like, we don't call what they're doing fornication because that word right there is really a heavy word. It sounds bad, right? We don't like, like I don't personally, like I don't like telling people that they're fornicators. But they are. Right? They are. Right? We, we like to, to, to dumb things down and to make things nice and pretty and, and like friendlier. But we need to be specific. We need to tell things like they are. We need to call things the truth. And when we pray, whether we're praying for thanksgiving or we're praying for deliverance, we're praying for specific requests, be specific. Tell God what it is that's going on. God, my brother who's in this situation specifically needs this answer specifically. Right? Not, Lord, help my brother in the thing that he's kind of working with. Right? And it's not that God doesn't know what's going on. It's good for you to be able to engage your mind and your heart fully in the act of prayer. Be specific about what's going on. When you're confessing your sins, be specific about them. Don't be like, Lord, forgive me where I failed you. Right? Because, like, that's a lot. But that's a scary prayer, by the way, if I just pray, Lord, forgive me where I failed you, because I am messed up. I, I, I don't even... So i got to start somewhere. i could be like, so today, this is how I, I, I found some things I've done wrong. Usually it's in the way in which I speak to my, my kids or my wife. Maybe, you know, my attitude towards some of you people out here, depending on the day. Right? Like, so I have specific things I've got to work on. Right? It's not usually my speeding. I just ignore that and hope God's not paying attention to the signs, right? Because I've got bigger issues than the fact that I go 77 in a 70, right? I've got some real heart issues that I deal with, right? But I got to be specific about those things. And when I want God to work, I got to be specific. David was specific, you know. He's like, there's these people and they're telling lies about me. So shut them up, right? Ask God specifically for what you want. And then over all these things, guys, at the end of our prayers, we pursue after God's will. You know, Jesus says, anything you ask in my name will be granted to you. And that seems almost like Aladdin and the magic lamp, right? Like, if I rub the lamp just right, and I phrase my prayer just right, and I end it in Jesus' name, amen, then I get whatever I want because I've completed all of the steps, right? Anything I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, give me a Ferrari in Jesus' name, amen, Right? I, I would expect, by the way, I could use a Ferrari because, like, Seth wrecked a dang car, right? So I could use another car right now. Right? That'd be nice. If, so if I go out there right now and someone's just randomly dropped a Ferrari off with a title with my name on it, like, good job, God. But that's not going to happen. I say it's not. I fully don't expect that to happen. 
right? Because that's not really, God's will for my life is probably not that I get a random sports car that I'm going to drive 105 in a 70 now, right? That's, I have a hard enough time, like, following rules in my, my beater cars than, than, than to do that, right? No, in Jesus' name means we, we pray in the will of what God wants, and we surrender our will to what God wants. I love um, David in verse 3 here. says, Lord, you're my rock, you're my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and you guide me. David's like, look, God, you are these things to me. You're my rock and my fortress. You're something safe and secure for me to rely in. I could pour myself into it. And, and you lead me. Like you, I follow after you for your sake. Like whatever I'm going to accomplish that's good, God, is going to be accomplished for your sake. And the rest of this psalm, right, is, is David like being honest with God. But he starts this thing with an act of humility saying, God, I know that I exist for your namesake and you have protected me and guided me all these days. And so I'm going to pursue after you for your namesake. Guys, we make a lot of, uh, about being in the will of God. When you pray tonight, I, I do pray that you pray tonight, uh, maybe just before you go to bed. Danielle and I pray as we go to bed. Uh, my wife and I go to bed together. Um, that's a good thing, by the way, if you can work that out. I know not everyone can. Some people are early and late and whatever. But like in my family, we're able to go to bed together. It's at like 1230 in the morning sometimes, but whatever. We end up in bed at the same time and we can pray together, right? And as we pray, as, as you have that moment of prayer, I, I pray that you, you pray in a way that's different tonight. Or I pray that you pray that you would be following the will of God in your life that you would allow God to lead you wherever it is. I pray that you be honest with God about what's really going on. Maybe your day at work today was the best day you've had in a long time. Maybe you accomplished everything you set out to do. Maybe you felt uh, just fully fulfilled in what you did. If that's the case, by the way, good job. Congratulations. You got an awesome job. Right? Thank God for that. Be specific with God. God, thank you that you've given me these co-workers to work with and this boss to serve under in this situation because this makes my life so much better. And if it's the other side, which sometimes it is, right? Sometimes work is awful. And the people we work with are scoundrels, right? And your job is unfulfilling and you, and you really... Going to work is going to work. Tell God that. God, I'm, I'm tired of, of, of running on this treadmill. I'm tired of this mediocrity. I'm tired of, of this so-and-so who's doing such and such in my life. Be specific with God. But be thankful for what God's given you. Be specific for God. And then ask all this to be molding you into God's image. Guys, we pray not necessarily to change God's will for our lives, though God does act when we pray. One of the reasons that we pray is that God forms us through our prayers. It's a spiritual discipline. It's good for you. So tonight as you pray, pray in a way um, that makes much of God. Pray an honest prayer. Pray a Psalm 31 style prayer that lays out everything that's going on in your life. God can handle it. He doesn't need you to clean up your words. Look, I I don't cuss. I haven't cussed uh, significantly uh, since I was like 16 years old. I started dating a girl. Her name was Danielle. She didn't cuss, and so I didn't cuss. Pull back a little bit, I did. Look, I know because I I know you scoundrels out there. Some of you, like, 
swear words are part of your vocabulary, right? And I, I hear it sometimes because you screw up and you're like, oh, dang it. I love people who come to my office and they cuss and then they're with like their spouse. They're like, stop. You can't cuss in front of the preacher. And I'm like, guys, I've heard worse. If that's who you are, right, God can handle that, right? Just tell God what you're thinking. I don't be cussing out God, right? Don't F-bomb God. It's not his fault that you've got your problems, right? But be honest with who you are. Talk to God because he desires to hear from you and God will shape you to make you more like him. Don't, <laughs> sorry, I just want to roll back a second here. Seriously, like God is great and powerful and sovereign and he can destroy you in a moment's notice. So just be aware of that, right? But he loves you. He knows you. And if you're cussing out your coworker all day long, he's already heard it. Right? So be honest with God. Let God form you. Hopefully he'll sanctify that part of your life. It may need some work. God's good. He's great. He loves you.